Well, good morning. It certainly is a privilege to get to proclaim God's Word to you this morning. And I tell you, I think the world of Jonathan and was so excited when you all called him to be your pastor here. And appreciate him giving me the opportunity to speak today. My wife, Lucinda, is here with me. She doesn't always get to be with me on Sundays where I'm preaching, but uh, really glad to have her here. And some special friends I didn't know were going to be here came all the way from the East Coast, not just to hear me preach, but for a 100-year-old birthday, which is definitely something to celebrate. But it's great to have Marty and Rhonda here with us today. You all have been one of our strongest churches throughout the years in our association in terms of your support and cooperation with other churches in helping to carry on local ministry here, ministry around the states, and literally to the ends of the earth. And this morning, I wanted to give you just a little update on some things that are going on in the association, uh, just to kind of catch up to speed. I think it's been a while since I spoke, and uh, there's a lot that's been happening. And for some of you that don't know, in my role, I work as kind of the director or coordinator of the work about 30 churches, including two church plants, do in this area. Uh, The area that uh, our churches are in is from Enid up to the Kansas border, and then down to Perry and over to Fairview. And these churches cooperate voluntarily. I'm not a pope or a bishop. I work behind the scenes to help churches be stronger and to help them focus on reaching out. Because in in the end, that's the best way to advance God's kingdom, because... Together, every church accomplishes more. That's kind of the whole idea behind a team effort. So we, in a sense, have what you might call an Acts 1-8 strategy as our association where we seek to do work here locally, then around America, and then overseas and other places. A few years back, actually when Rhonda was working with me as a ministry associate at our association, We conducted a campaign called Exploring the Land. And the idea was to look around the Cherokee Strip land run area and find out where it is that not geographic land, but spiritual land had yet to be claimed for Christ. To try to find people and places where we were missing uh, people in our churches. We just weren't getting out to those people. We discovered about seven different people and places. So we had kind of a discovery dinner. And then we allowed folks from our churches to come and stake their claim. Where were they going to sponsor new work? And through that, we've seen some new works get started. Uh, Pacific Islander ministry, primarily focusing on Marshallese, but also Chukis and some other people from that part of the world who live in Enid that uh, Emmanuel Enid started. And then also a new Hispanic work that uh, is called Agua Viva, uh, Living Water Hispanic Baptist Church. And they meet at Madison, the former Madison Avenue Baptist that you all as a church own and let them rent. Then uh, Open Door Church that uh, is only about three years old and has grown significantly in reaching a lot of adults in this area for Christ. In addition, we work uh, in a couple of areas right now where... Our churches together are helping to sponsor new works, one being in Wacomas. We had a church there, and that church closed its doors, but we're starting a new work there. And Matt Miles, who is also pastoring Liberty Southern bivocationally, is going to be starting that work in Wacomas. 
Then uh, Dale Ham, who is a member at First Baptist Ringwood, is starting a new church in Drummond. So those are both areas we had churches, and they ended up uh, shutting down, but there's still people to be reached, and we feel like a new church is the best way to do that. So that's a part of how you all are helping us here locally as you give and participate in the work of the association. In this America, we work primarily now in uh, the northeast section of Kansas City. There's a, an area of Kansas City just literally northeast of downtown. They just call it the northeast. And we have a partnership there where we've sent teams several times. And believe it or not, we can go there and work with people from countries that are very close to the gospel. But they've resettled in America in this part of Kansas City. And they're a lot more open to the gospel. We've worked there with people from Afghanistan, um, also people from the Congo, Congolese people, uh, people from Ethiopia, as well as uh, Somalia, Somalis who are very hard to reach in their own country, but God has brought them to a place just literally four and a half to five hours from where we live, where we have a chance to go and share the gospel with them. Further away, we have, uh, as part of our vision, uh, uh, mission partnerships that are kind of near, if you want to call it that, in countries that are not so far away, and then countries that are a lot further away. And you'll see here, we have a partnership in Ecuador now. We used to work in Mexico. In fact, Marty went on some of our trips down there. And now we've shifted to work in Ecuador and have sent teams down there. Um, we're also working in a faraway place. Uh, we have been working in Russia. And obviously that partnership due to COVID and now the war has become more of a prayer partnership. And we're looking to add on a faraway partnership beginning this fall, Lord willing, we'll be going to Madagascar and setting up a partnership where we can send teams to work there. Many of you know our family served in Madagascar for 10 years, and there's a place along the, the coast of Madagascar in the northeast called the Vanilla Coast. And I've always had that place on my heart as a place that's difficult to reach, but very much in need of the gospel. And, and we hope eventually to partner with some Oklahoma missionaries serving with our IMB in Madagascar and help to reach that part of the big island. Then here, some other things locally. Many of you know about the Elisha House. That is a guest house, kind of like the Ronald McDonald House, that you and our other churches work to purchase and now to offer as a ministry to families that come into Enid, and they might have a child in the hospital or a loved one, and they need a place to stay overnight while, while they're here in town. And that's a, a guest house. It's available for them. It's on the east side of town right next to our offices. We also have had a missionary families stay there. So it's just a, a house that uh, serves that purpose. Then uh, we also as an association, come alongside churches within our association that are doing events to reach out, not just to folks in their community, but in a broader area like the CAFRI up at Cherokee. And we don't really plan all that. We help promote that. They have been doing that for many, many years, but it's something we promote. Recently, we've worked with First Baptist Garber to begin a fish fry that is every, um, every fall. And that is a big event. We bring in an evangelistic speaker. And that's more on the southeast side of our association, whereas the CAFRI is up near Cherokee. That's further north. So those are a couple of things we do with 
men's events, trying to help churches reach out. We also have developed some ministries to work with women. Lucinda hosted a ministry wives breakfast at our house. We'll do something like that again um, in the coming year. And then we, through you guys, are planning together a women's conference that will be in the fall. I think it's in November, right here at First Baptist. And uh, so you all are a big part of that. We'll help promote it, help get the word out. Then uh, during the school year, we work with pastors and church leaders to do some training during what we call leadership lunches. And those are hosted generally at our offices or at a restaurant here in town. We'll bring in a speaker sometimes or just discuss a topic and pray together. Then another way we seek to strengthen our churches is every other year doing a conference specifically to help develop people within churches as opposed to the idea of a missions conference that we do in the, the opposing years. So this year, Jonathan is leading our ministry team in the association to do what's called the Christian Health Conference. And that's coming up in August. That is for everybody. <laughs> you don't have to be in a position of leadership in the church to be a part of it. Uh, in a sense, everybody that's a member of First Baptist Enid is a minister, if you, want to, if you want to think of it that way. But it'll be a chance to develop your gifts and to strengthen yourself in your faith, the Christian Health Conference. You'll hear more about that coming up soon. And then we just came, as Dakota mentioned, from Associational Children's Camp. First Baptist Enid was there. And I just want to express appreciation to you all as a church You all, during the first half of the week, had um, a couple of churches that were in there. Uh, The second half of the week, during Associational Children's Camp, there were three other churches that were in your cabin and were able to meet there. And many of the kids from those churches, as well as from the first half of the week, came to know Christ. In fact, overall, at Associational Children's Camp, there were at least, I believe it was 286 children that made professions of faith, at least during the invitation time at the worship services, and probably a lot more in their cabins. So it's just a wonderful harvest time where we see older elementary kids coming to Christ. Now this morning, we're going to kind of shift a little bit as we look at the message, and we're going to talk about five habits of a healthy church. And there was a time where a lot of the focus when you talk about churches growing was on numbers. And you heard me even mention how many kids came to Christ at the worship services at Associational Children's Camp. That is important. Numbers represent people. So statistics are valuable. But there's been a little bit of a shift away from emphasizing that as much, though it is important, to the whole idea of emphasizing church health. Because... Not all growth is healthy. That's why I have to pick weeds out of my yard every year, almost all during the year. There's some growth that's not always real healthy there. And it's the same in church life. In fact, sometimes if you really get down to it, looking at a church's health is, is more important than looking at the actual numerical growth. We have some churches that are very, very healthy in small communities They're not growing numerically a whole lot, but they're very healthy. Other churches, larger churches, they may have growth, but it's not as healthy. So it's an important thing to look at. And as we look into the scripture this morning, it's going to be something that the Apostle Paul points out to us uh, very clearly. 
And in a sense, how do you evaluate church health? Well, you look at the relationships within a church, how people interact. And that's what Paul is going to hone in on in the passage we look at. This approach looks at people and how they interact, not so much just on Sunday morning, but wherever they are as a community of believers, how they work together. And in order to be healthy, a church has to develop habits that are healthy as well. Why are habits so important? Well, the saying goes, sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. You ever heard that? In the end, what your habits are are going to determine your character. And that's from very very early in life. And why is the character of a church so important? Well, as a church, you represent the advertising agency, if you want to call it that, for God here in this place. You have a purpose in being here to represent God to this community around you. So having strong character, uh, biblical character is very important. We need to pay attention to the habits that we have. So we're going to be looking at Galatians 6, 1 through 10. If you want to go ahead and turn to that. I know on the front of your bulletin it said 9 through 10. We will include that. But we're going to actually start with verse 1 in chapter 6. And if you've ever looked at the book of Galatians, I already had somebody mention to me some of the teachings in the first part of it. It's a lot about people that thought Christianity was following a bunch of rules. And they, they came to faith in Christ. Under God's grace, they understood salvation, but then they kind of lapsed back into this thinking that Christianity is following all these rules, and they got so carried away that Paul had to write them and say, no, it's about grace and walking in step with the Spirit and letting Him live through your life. And you see, it is important to, to live out the fruit of the Spirit, to do good works, and this passage that we're going to read talks clearly about that, But we do good not to be saved, but because we are saved. So there's a very different perspective there. And as believers, we're not just hopelessly trying to follow the Christian life as we understand it. But we have the Spirit of God in our lives. And chapter 5 in Galatians, the one right before what we're going to read, talks about the whole idea of Christians being led by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit as we go through life. And then, as we get into chapter 6, Paul is going to tell us practically, how do you do this in the life of a church? He's talked about the fruit of the Spirit right before this, but then, as you relate to other people, how do you live that out? Healthy churches establish biblical habits in how members relate to each other. Now, and in the end... We're going to walk through this. I'm going to talk about these habits. But we're going to see that Jesus himself actually lived out these habits in his own life. And it's going to be amazing when you recognize it. That they give us, these habits give us an outline for the gospel itself in a nutshell. And you're going to find that through these we see how you come to know Christ. And how he can change your life. And you're going to see how you can experience life as God intended it for it to be. Life with meaning, purpose, confidence, and unwavering hope. 
So if you would, please stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll read God's Word while you're still standing. Heavenly Father, as we look into your Word this morning, I ask that you would speak to each one of us here in a powerful way. Speak through the power of your Word to our hearts in a way that we would understand the truths that are there, and we would come away transformed, changed, because you have met us here this morning. I ask that your spirit would have free reign in in the hearts of everyone that's here. I pray that the words I share would be what you desire and what would bring honor to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Please remain standing. We'll go ahead and read that. And up at the booth, can you guys advance the slides as I'm reading through it? I'll read from here. Brothers, and it could be brothers and sisters. This is generically speaking to everybody in a church, all believers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you use a term like brothers, that's talking about somebody that's in your family. And I said it could be brothers and sisters. And when you're in a family, it's just like being in a church. A church is a big family, the family of God. You could call it that. And in a family, we look out for each other, don't we? We take care of each other. You don't, if somebody is falling into transgression, you don't just let them fall off and don't try to help them. In a family, you care for one another. And that's part of what this first point is. A healthy habit for a church is to be gently restoring people or to have the habit of gentle restoration. And sometimes you might say, well, I'm sorry this guy messed up, but he's not my problem. No, if you're in a family with a brother or sister in Christ, they are your problem. We reach out to them to restore them. Now here, it's a little bit interesting, the wording. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. The idea of caught here is not like when you're speeding and you get caught because you were speeding, right? Here, it's the idea of somebody slipping into sin and crossing the line into a transgression. Sometimes even surprised by that, but they've definitely transgressed. And the whole idea here is the ones who are spiritual, it says, 
should restore that person. So who are the ones who are spiritual? Anybody raise your hand? Are you the spiritual one here? Well, in a sense, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. So you could say everyone in here is spiritual. But others would say, well, here it means the people that are more mature, which could be true. Regardless what it means here, if you struggle with the same sin that somebody is caught up in, you might not be the best one to go help them out. Because as it mentions here, you could fall into that same sin yourself, that same transgression as well. And another issue, regardless of whether you struggle with that sin or not, is the issue of pride that it addresses here. You know, you may feel like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a, a person like that that's slipping up in that sin. I've got that area of my life together. So there are a lot of cautions, but we are to go to people that have fallen into transgression and find a way to restore them. So what should be your approach? How, how do you live out this idea of gentle, gently restoring somebody? Well... Some people may feel like you should go to them. If they're wrong, just show them, lambast them, and condemn them. Doesn't seem like this passage is talking that way, does it? It seems like, in fact, the right approach is to go carefully in a way that you can bring them back. That's the whole idea. At least at first, to look to ways to bring them back in. Take as an example how Jesus responds to the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? The Pharisees, religious leaders, brought her. She'd been caught in the act of adultery. They're ready to condemn her and stone her. But instead, what does Jesus do? Rather than condemn and destroy her, he seeks gently to restore her, telling her to sin no more. So how does this work today with, with a healthy church? How do you apply this habit in everyday life with the people that are here in the church with you? Well... You might have somebody in the church that's a former alcoholic. A church should be a place where people can come and be accepted, and, and maybe you have people come in. What if that person falls off the wagon again? You know that expression? They fall back into alcoholism. Well, do you get in the wagon and run over them? No, of course not. You find a way to help them pick them back up and help them get straight again and get clean. Maybe you find somebody, a, a, a girl, I mean, this is an issue in our part of Oklahoma, who's hooked on some kind of drugs, on meth, has a habit, and they, they're trying to get clean, they come to church, they fall back into it, rather than just condemning them and saying, hey, that's, you know, you can't come anymore, find a way to reach out and gently restore her. Or maybe it's somebody you know that's in a shady relationship with somebody who's going to bring him down, or maybe in an inappropriate relationship with somebody at work that's going to ruin their marriage. If you're a brother in Christ, find a way to reach out, gently restore that person. Don't just overlook it. Find a way to help restore them and confront them about what's going on. Don't let them just ruin their marriage. In a family, we look out for each other. When a sister in Christ doesn't show up to church or to youth group for two to three weeks, you check up on them. You let them know you missed them. Find out what's going on. Maybe your brother in Christ is working long, long hours and it's ruining his marriage because he's never at home. He's never at home for his wife or his kids. Find a way to help him see what's going on and take care of him and help him restore his marriage. 
Now, it doesn't talk here in this passage about the person who's trespassed, really. It just talks about going to that person. But let me say, none of us in this body, anybody here this morning, none of us is immune to trespassing, to falling into sin. That's just the reality. And sometimes we're going to all need somebody to restore us. Sometimes people, though, feel like, no, I don't need that. And besides, if it's not hurting anybody else, if I fall into sin, then why does it matter? If I'm just kind of doing my own thing? Well, if you're in the family of God, it does matter. Because when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. You see, as a believer, you're not really independent. You're interdependent with other believers. So, accept help when you need it. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the church. A healthy church practices gentle restoration. Well, let's continue on. Another habit that a healthy church has is humble burden bearing. Humble burden bearing. And you can look at verses 2 through 5, kind of lays this out a little bit. And the thoughts I'm going to share are adopted from... David Platt and Tony Merida, who wrote on this particular passage, and I feel like summarized some of the, the thoughts pretty clearly. First of all, humble burden bearing means you will probably have burdens at one time or another. Anybody in here never had a burden in their life? No, of course. We all have them. They're unavoidable. They're just a part of life. Sometimes they might take the form of physical or mental illness, Financial crisis, oppression, maybe addiction, maybe a family crisis. Maybe somebody's bearing that kind of burden this morning or whatever. You can't escape the weight of burdens. They're part of life. But you are not self-sufficient. You're not self-sufficient. You're not made to bear those burdens alone. Of course, you should always cast your cares on the Lord first. Scripture is very clear about that. But... You need the help of others, no matter who you are. That's why Moses, the great leader, had his father-in-law Jethro say, Hey, you can't carry this load by yourself. You need to appoint men to help. That's why the Apostle Paul had a team. He didn't just do it all himself with Barnabas, Titus, and others for encouragement and support to keep going. Some people feel like, I just don't need anybody else. But the truth is, we all need people around us. The story is told about Muhammad Ali uh, getting ready for takeoff in an airplane. And the, the flight attendant came by and said, Everybody buckle up your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali, he was a famous boxer. I mean, worldwide famous. Uh, he said, Muhammad Ali don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant said, Buckle your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali don't need no seatbelt. And uh, the flight attendant was pretty sharp. She said... Uh, because he's, he thought he was Superman. And she said, well, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Superman don't need no airplane. The whole idea, <laughs> Mom Ali just thought, on the plane here, I don't have to buckle up. And he thought he was Superman. But everybody needs a seatbelt. You need, you need something. You need people around you to take care of you. And in the end, there's no Superman in a spiritual sense. So I hope the, the point is clear enough. But you are to be a burden bearer. You are to be a burden bearer. So 
Some of us think, well, that's, that's Jonathan's job or Dakota. Dakota can help take care of people. Others that are, that are leaders in the church, all of us are to be burden bearers and look for ways to help carry the burdens that people bear. That's part of what it means to be in a church. You fulfill the law of Christ. This passage is pretty clear. When you are bearing somebody else's burdens. And in a sense, it's hard to do this on a, our own sometimes. But remember, as a believer, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you do that. You're not serving others alone. You must not let pride keep you from doing that. Here it says some people think they're really something. But if you think you're above stooping to help a brother or sister in need, you're deceiving yourself. Don't let pride keep you from doing it. And we should not compare ourselves to others and get proud about not falling into their sins. Instead, we should compare ourselves to who? To Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the standard. Now here there are a couple of words that are important to understand. It talks about a load and it talks about a burden. It's important to recognize those two are different. In a sense, everybody here has a load that you carry. And that is your personal responsibility. It's kind of like a backpack that you carry around that has your basic supplies as opposed to a heavy burden that you can, you can barely manage and you really need help to carry. Some people treat burdens as loads and then they don't treat loads as burdens either. So let me explain the difference. Everything in your life is not a crisis. Now, sometimes when we have problems, we think we've got to call everybody in to help, and it's like bringing in the National Guard. But there are some responsibilities that are your load that you should be able to handle on your own. Other things that hit you are too heavy, and they're a big burden where you need help. Let me explain, and maybe this will make it clear. Let's say you constantly get up late for work or going to school because you're staying up late at night playing video games or messing around on social media. And so you figure, well, I've got to have my friend call me to wake me up every morning um, so I don't flunk out of school or lose my job. Is that a load or a burden? That's your load. That's your job to get up and go to work or go to school. Somebody else shouldn't have to bear that for you. You've got to figure out how to do it. Or let's say you work long, long hours, maybe 12-hour days, including Saturdays, and you choose a friend of yours to go take your kid to baseball games, to t-ball practice or whatever, because you're working so long. Is that a load or a burden? That's your load. As a parent, you've got to find a way to take care of your kids. But on the other hand, let's say you are a single mom and you get really, really sick. So sick you can't cook or take care of kids and you need help with both of those. That's more like a burden where somebody in the church family or a group of people can help you. That's not just a load, it's a burden. Or let's say your spouse has died and you're at a point where you're older and your vision is not good. You can't get out, can't drive anymore. You don't have enough money to go into an assisted living type place or something like that. Your food's running out. You need help. That's where it becomes more of a burden. You could bear that before, but things have happened in your life, and it's a burden. Do you see the difference between the two? 
So we're called to carry our loads and to help others carry their burdens. Some people treat everything like a load, refusing to tell anyone or ask for help. That's not healthy. Others treat everything like a burden, wearing people out with things they should be taking care of themselves because it's their load. A healthy church understands the difference and practices humble burden bearing. Let's move on. Generous sharing is another habit that we find in a healthy church. Commentators vary in their understanding of this verse. If you take a look at it, what does this mean? But most of them conclude that it's referring to making sure that the gospel is proclaimed and that those people that are teaching it are able to do that, um, that their financial needs are provided for so that the gospel will continue to spread and be taught. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, who is a commentator and also a preacher, even ties this verse to the next one and says, whoever sows generously is also going to reap generously in terms of a spiritual harvest. And if you look ahead, where it talks about sow in these passages, not talking about what you do with a sowing machine, it's talking about sowing seed, the idea of planting and then seeing a harvest. See, our natural tendency is to sow or to plant, to invest for ourselves, isn't it? We save up money to, to buy stuff for ourselves. And when we spend to take care of other people, it's almost countercultural, especially in America. There's so much emphasis on getting for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying here that when you invest in your church, when you give so that the gospel can be proclaimed, that you'll reap a financial harvest. That's kind of what the prosperity gospel will teach. But it is saying when you prioritize and invest, you are sowing to the Spirit. And you will reap a spiritual harvest. And that's eternal. Not going to pass away like the temporal, um, physical riches that we may gain in this life. A healthy church practices generous sharing. Well, let's move on. Personal holiness is another habit that this passage points out for us if we're going to have a healthy church to have. And we all know that the kind of seeds you plant determine what's going to grow. And then the amount of seed that you plant determines how much you're going to have and how much you're going to reap. And in the context of these verses here, 7 and 8, if you take a look at it, the seeds that are planted are our thoughts and our actions. That's what that's all about. And... If you allow your mind to dwell on and your eyes to see things of the flesh, as it calls it here, or your sinful nature might be another way to explain it, then you'll tend to act on those thoughts and end up reaping to your sinful nature with all the negative consequences that accompany it. Here it says corruption, other passages, death, destruction, ruin. But if you think and act in step with the Spirit, which is what Paul is trying to help us do, you will reap eternal life and joy, inner peace, confidence, and security that comes from it. And here's how the New Living Translation puts it, just for a clear understanding. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, when you hear the word holiness... You might think about a goody two-shoes that never does anything wrong and looks down on other people. But that's not really what it's about here. Instead, the whole idea is a person 
who sows to the Spirit in their life. And they see the fruit of the Spirit coming out because they're, they're sowing that kind, of, that kind of seed in their life and their thoughts and actions. And the more you live to please the Spirit, the more abundant your harvest. See, a lot of people live only to satisfy their sinful nature. And then they're frustrated because they don't experience this idea of personal holiness in their own lives. So what are some examples of living to satisfy your own sinful nature? This will help understand it. Well, it's when you start dating somebody and you feel like we love each other. So it's okay to have sex without being married. That's sowing to sensuality, to the lust of the flesh or your sinful nature. Or it's when you decide you want to climb up the ladder at work and you want to take your boss's place and you lie or cheat to get there. That's sowing to envy, sowing to that desire to grab what somebody else has. And it's not going to end well. It's when you secretly despise somebody, maybe even somebody at church, and you give them the cold shoulder. Sometimes we do that in marriage, unfortunately. But other times we actually do it in church. And you're thinking, I'll show them. But in fact, that's sowing to your sinful nature. And you're hurting yourself and the fellowship of the church more than really you're hurting the other person. So how does living to satisfy your own sinful nature affect the church? Why is this important as a habit for us to, to understand, habit of personal holiness? Well, when you're sowing in the sinful nature, what keeps you from restoring a broken brother gently? Sometimes it's your failure to sow to the Spirit. What keeps you from taking time to bear another's burdens? Often it's your pride. And that comes from living again to satisfy your sinful nature. What might keep you from being generous? Often it's your greed. The result of living for your own sinful nature and wanting to satisfy your desires. What keeps you from working for the good of others? Often it's because we want to just work for our own good and take it in rather than give to others. Living to satisfy your own sinful nature can lead to self-centeredness. Lack of personal holiness in all these areas I've talked about and many more does damage the family of faith. However, when you sow to the Spirit, First Baptist Enid reaps a harvest, a spiritual harvest of a community that functions out of love for one another and brings glory to God. So how do you do that? How do you sow to the Spirit? We've kind of talked about some negative sides. What's the positive? Well, one way is to fill your mind with God's Word more than you fill your mind with what's on social media. That's a simple one there. Calculate the time you're spending on that versus the time in God's Word. Fill your mind with His Word. Another way is blocking out time each day to spend some time alone with God, regardless of how busy you are. And then starting out the day by asking God for opportunities to serve others. Sometimes we just rush into the day, but if we would pause, ask Him to give us opportunities, we'll find He'll give them to us to serve others and love, love others during the day. And finally, how about prioritizing your church by giving financially so the gospel can continue to be taught and spread? Matthew six twenty one, Jesus told us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A healthy church practices personal holiness. And finally, habit number five 
perseverance in doing good. Look at the very end of this chapter. There are people through the years who've lived this out at First Baptist Enid, persevering and doing good, even when they were weary and they're ready to give up. They didn't see a lot of fruit. This text shows us that there are two things about persevering and doing good. One is it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? To, to keep a church going, there are a lot of different roles that people need to play. I look out on the congregation, I see people that do all kinds of work to keep things go. But sometimes going, but come, sometimes work can wear you out, can't it? What is it that tends to wear you out when you're doing church work? Anybody have any ideas? Well, we're all around us. People. We, we can wear each other out. Sometimes there, there are people that we get tired of working with. Or it can be ourselves. We sometimes just feel like, you know, we're not good enough or we're not doing enough. Or we overextend ourselves. We don't work with other people. We work independently. Um, sometimes it's just difficult working in a church setting. Sometimes we have this tendency to wear ourselves out because we're working in our own strength. And we forget that God wants to work through us. So depending on Him helps you deal with that time where you're feeling like, man, I'm weary from working so hard. But another part of this promise here is that it's worth it. It is worth it. If you keep at it and you're serving the Lord in His strength, in time you will reap a harvest. Any farmer knows you're not going to plant seed and the next day see a harvest. I planted grass seed in my yard Three weeks ago, I'm still waiting for the harvest of grass. Maybe hopeless there, but anyway, it's going to take time with sowing and seeing the results. And it's the same with working in a church. Sometimes you may invite a friend time and time again. They're not coming. But eventually, if you don't give up on them, and God's at work in that context, you'll see him come through. And remember, he never grows tired or weary. His strength doesn't wear out. Ours might, but his never does. So don't give up doing good. And if you're stuck and not sure how to do this, ask God to show you someone in need in the church or, or maybe outside that you can serve by doing good. Maybe it's a guy who's so messed up he can't keep a job and just needs somebody to help him learn how to do some of the basic disciplines that would help him keep a job. Maybe it's a widow who's all alone that you know and simply needs company. Maybe it's a kid who's hanging out with the wrong crowd and going nowhere fast. Sometimes you can spot that when you've gone through that phase of life. Maybe it's a girl who's trying all the wrong ways to get people to love her and just needs to know the love of Jesus. Is there someone around you that you could reach out to? Or maybe just someone else. Not one of those examples, but someone else. A healthy church perseveres in doing good. And it's my prayer that First Baptist Enid will continue to be a church led by the Spirit in practicing gentle restoration, humble burden-bearing, generous sharing, personal holiness, and perseverance in doing good. Now, as we've walked through these different habits uh, this morning, what has God said to you about practicing them yourself? I'll go back one here. Would it be restoring someone? Would it be coming alongside and bearing somebody else's burden? Or maybe it's about sharing rather than hoarding. 
what God has given to you, sharing it, being a generous giver. Maybe it's about personal holiness, an area of your life where God has spoken to you and said, this isn't right, you need to get this straight. Or finally, maybe it's about not giving up and doing good, the work of ministry, even when it seems like you're getting nowhere. God has done some amazing things at First Baptist Enid. Did you know your church was founded in 1890? Who can tell me? 1894. I think it is. That's a long time ago. (laughs) Through those years, some amazing things have happened. But God is not done with First Baptist Enid. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And he has a clear purpose in you all being here and being a part of this body of Christ. In fact, take, take a confidence in what Paul said in Philippians 1.6 where he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now as we close, it's, an, it's important not just remember the founding of this church, but in fact the founder of the church, Jesus Christ the one who lived out these practices, these habits in his own life, coming from heaven to seek and save the lost, which is really all of us, because we all sin and fall short of God's glory, humbling himself and bearing the burden of our sin on the cross, though he himself was perfectly holy and without sin, restoring, reconciling us who believe in him to God, and then rising again, to live today and offer us eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's simple and yet so profound. It's his story. But my question today is, is that your story? Have you come to the place in in your life where you've believed in Jesus, turning away from going your own way, turning to him, asking him to forgive your sins, and then following him as your boss and your Lord, if you want to call it that? of your life and experiencing abundant and full life of peace and confidence just as he intended. The burden that you feel this morning, if you've never done that, might be the weight of unforgiven sin. That weighs you down when you know you've got that and you need to come clean and have it forgiven. When you come to Jesus and put your trust in him, asking him to forgive your sin, he takes that burden off your shoulders. That's why he died on the cross. And he rose again, he lives today, and this morning is offering a great exchange where that unforgiven sin that you have, he'll take it and in exchange, you get his righteousness before God. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and never sin, but in God's eyes, you're forgiven and clean and you're accepted and you'll have a relationship with him. So this morning, in a a few moments, we're going to stand and I'll lead us in prayer. And if you've never put your trust in Christ, this morning is a time that you can come and say, I want to trust Jesus, this one who came, who loved me so much, he died on a cross and rose again. I want to say yes to him. Would today be the day that you are freed from that burden of sin? Others of you maybe already have trusted Christ. You don't bear that burden of unforgiven sin in that sense. But this morning you realize There's some of these habits I'm not living out. And I want to commit to God and say, I'm going to change. I'm going to live out these habits in a way that will make this body of believers stronger. Others of you maybe need to make a rededication or any kind of decision. Maybe you're called to 
to ministry, and this will be a time to make that public. So we're going to stand, and I'll lead us in prayer, and then come as we sing. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, as we have looked into your word this morning, we've seen a lot of different ways that a church can be stronger and be more healthy by living out these habits. And we pray that First Baptist Enid would be a church known as a healthy body of Christ because they're living in a way that pleases you as they interact with one another and as they reach out to others. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never put their trust in Christ, that you would give them courage to step forward and say, I want to know this Jesus and bring him into my life. And I want to be transformed and live for him. For others, maybe just right where they are that need to say, God, I want to change in this area and live out this habit better in this community of believers. Give us courage to lean on you and make the changes we need to to see you honored in our lives and the way we interact with others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come as we sing?